Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to 48 Hours ad-free right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app. Need more true crime in your life? An Audible membership can solve that. Audible is the ultimate destination for thrilling audio entertainment. As an Audible member, you could choose one title a month to keep from the entire catalog. Don't miss The Serial Killer's Apprentice by Katherine Ramsland and Tracy Allman. It follows the true story of how Houston's deadliest murder turned a kid into a killer in training. New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash 48 hours or text 48 hours to 500-500. That's audible.com slash 48 hours or text 48 hours to 500-500 to try Audible free for 30 days audible.com slash 48 hours. 48 hours listeners know to always expect the unexpected, including when home appliances break down. An American Home Shield warranty can restore your sense of security. It's simple. When a covered item in your home breaks, contact American Home Shield and their trusted and qualified pros will fix or replace it. Right now, you could take 20% off. Go to ahs.com slash 48 to save 20%. That's ahs.com slash 48 for 20% off any plan. For more details, see ahs.com slash contracts for coverage details, including limit amounts, fees, limitations, and exclusions. New Jersey residents, the product being offered is a service contract and is separate and distinct from any product or service warranty, which may be provided by the home builder or manufacturer. American Home Shield. Don't worry, be warranty. I'm Julia Cowley, retired FBI agent and profiler and former special agent forensic scientist with the Tennessee Bureau of Investigation. This podcast is about criminal profiling. This is certainly an unusual case. I've never seen anything quite like this one. With many serial killers, it's the killing part that they enjoy. And once they've killed the person, they're done. Not Mark Twitchell. Action. Mark Twitchell was an aspiring filmmaker. I interviewed him for my book, and we corresponded uh, for a number of years. He wrote me probably 30 or 35 different letters, up to about 350 pages of letters. In one letter, uh, Mark Twitchell wrote, wrote back to me, and this is what he said. The fact is society in general has a deep and profound fascination with the dark side of human nature. I do think Mark Twitchell was using the filmmaking as an outlet to live out his fantasies, and it ultimately wasn't enough for him. And that's why his fantasies crossed into reality. I think Mark Twitchell believes that he is very smart, very methodical, very logical, very level-headed, much like the character of Dexter Morgan. And so I think he got ideas from the show. I think he was drawn to the character because that's what he wanted to be. There's significant links to Dexter. He had a 
kill room set up with plastic sheeting. He had had a table set up for his victims. He had this kind of processing kit that was very similar to what Dexter uses. Never once did it cross his mind he'd ever be caught. They aren't going to catch me. I'm too smart. Nothing's going to lead them to me. Our job is to put together the pieces of the puzzle, and in this case, we had a written document. There was this document titled SK Confessions, found in a deleted form on Mark Twitchell's laptop, and it appeared to read like a diary. This is the story of uh, my progression into becoming a serial killer, and it documented luring people uh, off the internet. His first victim was a man named Gilles Tetro. I saw this uh, lady. She had blonde hair. She was about five six. She she was very attractive looking. And what was her name? Her name was Sheena. Sheena. Yeah. I messaged her. She messaged me back. How about we go to dinner and a movie? I thought that was a great idea. She wouldn't give me the uh, house number, but she just sent me really really good directions on how to get there. He thought, right? What's the worst that could happen? I really were capable of premeditated murder. Normal, healthy, well-adjusted, 30-year-old men. I once heard the legend of another worthy victim, wonderful young children, and great future. I dealt with his remains in a disrespectful manner that traumatized me forever. As a psychopathic serial killer, my compassion, I quickly grew to resent and hate this man. These are the words of Mark Twitchell, written to author Steve Lillibue. It is what it is, and I am what I am. For the first time on television, Lilla Buen is revealing the contents of Twitchell's letters. It's a rare look inside the mind of a killer. Nobody would side with Dexter Morgan if he went around slaughtering school teachers and mail carriers on a whim. Police say Twitchell was fascinated by the fictional character in the hit Showtime series, Dexter. I need to kill him. Twitchell's been dubbed the Dexter killer because of the numerous links between the television series and the real-life crimes. So how did this young Canadian filmmaker end up accused of horrific acts? The story begins in October 2008. To hear how everything happened, it was like you watching the movies. Edmonton police detective... It's hard to say, I mean... In a... Bill Clark. But now we have it happening in real life. Jill's Tetro was online on the Plenty of Fish com website, which is a, a dating site. Tetro, who was 33 at the time, was excited to meet the woman who called herself Sheena. I was actually late, so I was driving quite fast to get there. She said, I'll just leave the garage door open for you, and then you just go in, go through the garage. I don't think he ever imagined 
in a million years what would happen to him in that garage. It was dark. Then I, I kind of looked around for the door she told me to go through, and that's when somebody came out and uh, attacked me from behind. Finally looked back, and that's when I see this man with this painted up hockey mask. I just chill down my back. Wow, this is no date. He's about like six foot and, and has this black and gold hockey mask all painted up on his face. The hockey mask wearing man had ordered him to the ground at gunpoint. And he tore a piece of tape and he covered my eyes with it. I start hearing different things like a jingling noise and stuff like that. In my head, it's just racing, like it's like thinking, what's going on, what's he gonna do? Is he taking another weapon out? Jill decided he wasn't waiting to find out. I can't do this, I gotta fight back. So I got up and uh, ripped the tape off my eyes. He was stunned that I got up and started yelling at me to get back down on the ground. Instead, he grabbed the attacker's gun. When I grabbed the gun, I felt the gun was plastic. This is the greatest feeling I ever felt in my life because then I knew I had a fighting chance to get away. That's when I, I was ready to fight. I punched him and I felt really weak. I'm like, wow, why was my punch so weak? What Gilles didn't realize was that he had been weakened by the effects of the stun baton. And then he starts punching me on the side of the head. Just about then, he came up with a plan. He grabbed my jacket. I jerked forward to make sure he had a good hold on it. I thought, that's the perfect time. That was part of your plan. You're thinking, okay, he grabs my jacket, yeah. and I can get free. So that's when I slipped out of the jacket, rolled underneath the garage door, and then got up. And it worked. And I tried to run, and all of a sudden, my legs wouldn't work. And I just fell, boom, right on the gravel, driveway. That's when he grabbed my legs, and he started pulling me back to the garage. So I'm like, oh no, what am I gonna do now? I'm dead. Gilles was thrown back in the garage, but he surprised himself by rolling out again. This time, Gilles managed to get into his truck. I stuck the key in the ignition and then I just sped away. When Gilles got home, he discovered the profile on the dating site had been deleted and he did his best to erase his own memory. Why didn't you go to the police immediately? At first, I was in shock. I said, I told myself, I'll do it tomorrow. And tomorrow came, and I was, um, I felt so ashamed that I got duped. Embarrassed and confused, Gilles convinced himself that perhaps it wasn't as serious as he first thought. I really thought it was a mugging at the time. But just one week later, another man, Johnny Altinger, would answer a similar dating ad and disappear. Where is he? What's going on? He wouldn't do this to us. Gary Altinger, Johnny's older brother, says the last time anyone heard from him was on October 10th, 2008, when the 38-year-old left for a date with a woman named Jen. Not a message, nothing. And then not showing up for work, Totally out of character. John was very, very, very responsible. And when did you grow concerned? When I received that email. 
and this email was completely out of character. What did it say? I've met a woman named Jen, and I'm going away with her to Costa Rica, and I'll call you at Christmas time. I just thought right away after I had read this, that's got to be the weirdest message I've ever received. That identical strange message had gone out to all of Johnny's friends as well. Desperate for some answers, Johnny's friends broke into his apartment. They found his passport, and they found dirty dishes, and they found everything just like as if he were going to return an hour or two later. And with that information, then they went to the police and they said, hey, listen, you've got to do something. You know, it was his red Mazda was missing. He had taken his vehicle, it couldn't be found. So obviously that's what we're going to look for first. Easier to find a car than, than a person. Based on the uh, emails and they talk about Costa Rica, the officers search all the parking lots at the airport. It's not found. Everything's turning up negative. But there was one clue that would give police their first big break in the case. On the day he disappeared, Johnny Altinger had forwarded the directions of where he was going to friends. Well, John's friends were concerned. And his friend even questioned him on the email. You know, be careful. And John said, yeah, well, here's the directions. And if anything happens to me, you'll know where to look. Armed with the directions, police were led directly to that garage. They learned the garage is rented out to an individual named Mark Twitchell. Action. Twitchell, then 29 years old, a married man with a young daughter, had used the garage as a set for a recent movie project. I'm glad I got the chance to work with you all, and I hope you, I see you all in the industry. Mark denied knowing anything about a missing man or a red Mazda, and he had no problem with the police wanting to search the garage. They have a look around, and they see some what looks like blood, and Mark Twitchell's explaining, oh, no, that's my movie prop. We did a film about a killing a guy in here, and I filmed it all, and I've been cleaning it up over the last couple weeks. Were some things that were, you know, raising your spidey sense in this one, going, yeah, this isn't right. Something going on here. A sense of safety is important to everyone, and that's why I want to talk to you about Simply Safe. It's an advanced security system that protects your entire home so you can rest easy. Simply Safe is completely customizable with advanced sensors to detect break-ins, fires, floods, and more. You can have 24/7 professional home monitoring for less than $1 a day. So try Simply Safe for 60 days risk-free. If you don't love it, you can return your system for a full refund. Plus, we're offering listeners 20% off any new Simply Safe system. When you sign up for Fast Protect monitoring, don't wait. Visit simplysafe.com slash 48 hours. That's simplysafe.com slash 48 hours. There's no safe like Simply Safe. If you're a fan of 48 hours or true crime, looking to try on a case of your own, June's Journey is for you. A thrilling hidden object mystery game set against the backdrop of the 1920s. You play as June Parker, an amateur detective trying to unravel your sister's mysterious murder. As you dive into a world filled with twists and turns, trust no one. Every character could be hiding secrets. 
While you piece together the intricately woven plot, you'll collect crucial information in your photo album, turning suspicions into facts. And if you want help on the case, you can even join a detective club to collaborate or compete with fellow sleuths on hundreds of puzzles. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. For detectives in the Edmonton Police Department, the disappearance of Johnny Altinger was a mystery in more ways than one. It's a missing persons case. We don't know what foul plays happened here. We, we don't have a body. Uh, we don't even know if we have a crime. Their only lead was Mark Twitchell's film set garage. Voluntarily, the amateur filmmaker came down to the Edmonton police station to speak with detectives. Altinger, does that name ring a bell to you or mean anything to you? No. Never heard it before? No. Mark appeared to be eager to help. He had no history of violence and was hardly a suspect. Action. In fact, he seemed guilty of nothing more than wanting to brag about his film career. I'm working on a comedy right now, which is a, it's actually a full-blown feature. It's actually gonna have a decent budget in the neighborhood of about three and a half million. Mark Twitchell's first film project, a Star Wars fan film, had received some media buzz back in 2007. Word has gotten around that I'm making a hundred million dollar movie for 60 grand and uh, some production and directing jobs have already come my way. But the police were more interested in Mark's latest production, a suspense thriller called House of Cards, ah! where a hockey mask serial killer lures a man to a garage via the internet and kills him. So it was kind of odd that you're filming that kind of thing. Mm. And we end up going to that garage because of a missing person yeah. who supposedly went there. That's really freaky too. And as soon as they called me on the phone, I get this weird chill. He looked pretty comfortable in the interview. And when it was done and I watched, I went, wow, that guy interviewed well. Hours later, Mark Twitchell even agreed to let officers back into the garage where he had filmed House of Cards. Little did they know the case was about to take an unusual turn. Detective Murphy goes, you know, and meets him and talks to him. And there's this huge revelation about, oh, yeah, I bought a red car off a guy. It's like I remember getting the phone call at the police station just thinking, holy crap. That's because police were still looking for Johnny Altinger's red Mazda. So investigators called Mark again. And again, he voluntarily agreed to answer more questions. This time, Bill Clark conducted the interview. So as you know, Mark, we're just here trying to find this John John Altinger. Mm -hmm. Clark listened while Mark told him how he came into possession of a red car, a detail he failed to mention when he spoke with police earlier. This guy uh, taps on my window, you know, hey buddy, do you want to buy a car? I have shacked up with this really rich lady and she's going to buy me a new car. So I'm just looking to unload buying. How much do you have on you? And, uh, Mark claimed he bought the red Mazda for just $40 and that it was parked at a friend's house. So what are you thinking when you hear that, that he purchased a car for $40? I just thought that's unbelievable. That's just right away I'm thinking to myself, this is a bunch of crap. The strange story about the red car, the serial killer movie being filmed, 
For Clark, it could only mean one thing. There's absolutely no doubt in my mind that you're involved in the disappearance of John Altinger. No doubt in my mind at all, Mark. Why? But it was only a hunch. Clark had no hard evidence against Mark. Police began digging deeper into his background. They were interested in speaking with anyone who had worked on House of Cards, where actor Chris Hewitt's character meets an untimely, bloody end in the film. My character was killed with the samurai sword. They said they would have a mannequin or a dummy to run the sword through, and when I got there, there was none. I looked at the, the weapons, that was my first sign. When I saw that they were real, I thought, this is off. I'm thinking, why didn't I tell somebody where I am? Hewitt left the garage film set unharmed, but rattled. And his unease only escalated when police asked him about that allegedly fake movie blood they spotted in the garage. How much of the blood splatter on the wall was from your filming? And I said, none of the blood splatter was from my... And then, in a search of Twitchell's belongings, police found his laptop. They pulled off a hard drive, a deleted file titled SK Confessions. SK Confessions. Police believed SK was shorthand for serial killer. One of the first lines it says, I'm not sure when I decided to become a serial killer, but it was a feeling of pure euphoria. SK Confessions told the story of a man who was lured to a garage and stabbed to death, a plot strikingly similar to House of Cards. I plunged the knife deep into his neck. It was unbelievable. I just remember reading it all and just was fascinated by this document going, holy mackerel. But was the document a screenplay, or was it, in fact, Mark Twitchell's confession of murder? It just doesn't make sense. Where there's smoke, there's fire. Two weeks after the disappearance of Johnny Altinger at a garage film set, police had sharpened their focus on filmmaker Mark Twitchell. Police cameras were rolling as the forensics team processed Twitchell's family car and the garage he rented. And a few miles away, detectives had been at the Twitchell home where they found just Twitchell. Mark's unsuspecting wife of two years. What I said was, we're investigating a missing person. I believe your husband's got something to do with it, and it's quite possibly, uh, you know, could be a homicide. I didn't really go into anything more, but I think that was enough. I mean, she was emotional. Police soon discovered that the Twitchell marriage was already fractured. They had been living in basically sleeping in separate bedrooms. She was basically living on the main floor, he was living in the basement. So there was obviously Troubles in paradise there, we knew that. Twitchell had been having an affair with an old girlfriend and lying to his wife about having a job. He found out that uh, he was telling his wife he was going to work every day, he had no job. He was getting his friends to invest in his alleged movie-making business with his Hollywood connections, and basically Mark Twitchell was living off their money. Interestingly, the document police had found in Twitchell's laptop, titled SK Confessions, also referenced a crumbling marriage and secrets. It read, I went through great lengths to bring my wife over to the comfortable belief 
I wasn't cheating on her. It was uh, basically a, a, almost like a movie script. But what was real and what was fiction? The closer police looked, the more the lines blurred. Police discovered Twitchell spent countless hours making elaborate Halloween costumes. It's almost like at times Mark Twitchell lives in a fantasy world. But it was Twitchell's Facebook page, comparing himself to TV's fictional serial killer, Dexter Morgan, that really raised eyebrows. Mark has way too much in common with Dexter Morgan, read Twitchell's status. He talked a lot about uh, how he loved uh, the show Dexter. I need to kill him. Twitchell even posed as Dexter Morgan on Facebook. We all have a dark side, some darker than others. And you're not the only one to relate to Dexter. It sometimes scares me how much I relate. I mean, look at this profile. That profile had caught the attention of a woman named Renee from Cleveland, Ohio. I am a huge fan of the Showtime show, Dexter. So I thought, oh, well, you know, I'll be friends with him. Eventually, Twitchell revealed his true identity. He was uh, a filmmaker. We are rolling. And he was working on a, a new thing called House of Cards. Camera's rolling. Renee was intrigued. After all, she was an aspiring writer, and her friendship with a movie maker could open doors. I thought it was going to be like a working relationship, a working friendship. Um, you know, we had a lot in common. But, I mean, you spoke to him a couple of times a day online? A couple of times a day. Was it flirtatious? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Their email exchanges soon became dark. It was shortly before Johnny Altinger disappeared. We talked about, you know, serial killers and, you know, the psychology behind a serial killer. At the time, Renee was upset with her ex-husband's new wife. And I wanted her dead at the time, but I said I couldn't do it. And hypothetically, how would you get away with it? How do you get away with it? He said, you cut her up in little pieces. You put her in trash bags like Dexter. And since I was close to the lake, you rent a boat and uh, dump her out in the middle of Lake Erie. But then she began to wonder. He said over the weekend he did something and he liked it. I crossed the line and I did something and I liked it. And what did you take that to mean? That he killed somebody. What other line is there to cross? Something inside my head just gave me red flags and said, he did it. And her suspicions kept growing with another email he sent. There's an enormous missing person, possible homicide investigation, going on centralized around a location I've been renting for film work. So of course the police have tossed my house and impounded my car. Not fun considering they won't find anything. But Twitchell had underestimated the police. He thought he was way smarter than the police. Uh, one of the biggest mistakes I think that he made was he had no idea how we do our job. And that was a huge advantage to us. Adding to their circumstantial case, Twitchell possessing Altinger's car, the SK Confessions document, and his Dexter obsession, investigators finally had hard evidence. They found Altinger's blood in Twitchell's trunk. When we got the word that uh, the DNA matched, we briefed our tactical team, our, our arrest team, and we had officers ready to make the arrest. 
On Halloween morning, 2008, while Twitchell was putting the finishing touches on his Halloween costume at his parents' home, police were busy laying a trap. We got an undercover operator to work the internet and pretend he was gonna, an investor. He was lured out on the promise to meet this guy at this coffee shop, and when he got about three blocks from his house, tactical team swooped in on him and took him down. Tough guy Mark Twitchell peed his pants. He was so scared, and it was a little uh, taste of his own medicine, I guess. Back at the station, Detective Clark and Twitchell came face to face in the interrogation room once again. As I told you that night, I knew that you were involved in the disappearance at that time of Johnny Altinger. That's changed slightly. I now know that you killed John Altinger. Three weeks after Altinger's disappearance, police charged Twitchell with first-degree murder. The once talkative movie director barely uttered a line. You didn't get much of a reaction, did you? No, he's, uh, well, he knows not to say anything. Talking to his lawyers, he's not gonna admit to anything. He didn't have to. SK Confessions, which police had been dissecting word by word, spoke volumes. They were now convinced it was no screenplay, but rather a diary of murder. One passage about a knife read, I thrust it into his gut. His reaction was pure Hollywood. We do believe as investigators that the account written by Mark Twitchell in that SK Confessions is exactly what he did to John Altinger. By now, Renee had called the police. As authorities began building their case, there was one crucial part of SK Confessions they wanted to verify about a victim who had survived. It was just a huge piece of evidence because not only would it verify what was written in SK Confessions, it would also have a living witness. So it was paramount that we find this person. At Amica Insurance, we know it's more than just a car or a house. It's the four wheels that get you where you're going and the four walls that welcome you home. When you combine auto and home insurance with Amica, we'll help protect it all. And the more you cover, the more you can save. Amica, empathy is our best policy. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Detective Bill Clark knew his next move was finding the alleged victim who had escaped from Mark Twitchell's garage. You know, one of the first things we did was check the police records, figuring hopefully someone called the police on this, and we have nothing. But police had found a helpful clue during the search of Twitchell's home. One of the things they had found was a hockey mask. 
The SK Confessions talked about how Mark Twitchell had worn this mask when he attacked both victims, but we figured it was something the first victim would key on. Police soon took to the airwaves. We have some details on this male victim who was attacked and we would like him to come forward. Gilles Tetro was at home oblivious to the horror he had escaped when a friend told him to watch the news. To date, we do not know who this victim is. I believe the victim entered the garage and was attacked by another male who was wearing a hockey mask. And it's the same hockey mask that I saw. Wow, yeah, this is, this is the guy. This is what happened to me. It's the same mask, everything. What Gilles heard next came as an even greater shock. Another man had been lured to the same garage and met a gruesome man. We have not found John Altinger's body. And what were you thinking when you, when you heard this? I couldn't believe it. Once you find out the whole story, I knew at that point it was not just a mugging. It was actually, he was probably going to kill me. I'm like, wow, I, I have to go forward now. I have to come forward. Exactly one month after he was attacked, Gilles Tetro walked into the Edmonton Police Department and told police his incredible story. I was all off balance. I couldn't run. I fell down from the, the gravel driveway and uh, basically crawling. So he dragged me back to the garage. Jill's story matched nearly word for word what was in SK Confessions. I grabbed him by the leg as if to drag him back into the garage, caveman style. So I know that this diary we have is true. After this all happened, I realized how lucky it was. Seven days after Gilles was attacked, police say Twitchell wasn't going to make the same mistake twice. How did he kill uh, John? We know that he lured him to the garage in the same way he lured Gilles Tetro. And then in this case, because he learned from Gilles that the taser didn't work, he hit him over the head with a lead pipe. Following the narrative, police believe Altinger was then stabbed and dismembered on a makeshift autopsy table. What was the most damning piece of evidence that you discovered? We had uh, you know, luminol tests done on the floor. Large amounts of blood had been spilled on the floor of the garage. Probably one of the biggest pieces, a piece of tooth that was found inside there. That piece of tooth uh, matched up to our victim. According to SK Confessions, the killer then broke into Altinger's apartment and sent out those emails about taking an exotic vacation. The killer then attempted to burn the remains in a barrel, but failed. He next tried to dump them into the river, but was afraid of being seen. Ultimately, Mark Twitchell drove around with it, according to the SK Confessions document. He even talked about driving around with them and pulling up beside people at red lights and looking at them and thinking that they don't know I have a dead body in the trunk of my car. But where was Johnny Altinger's body? SK Confessions described the killer finally choosing a sewer to dump the remains. But that's where the pages stopped. It was a story without an ending. In any homicide investigation, you obviously want to bring closure to the family. So not only do you want to make that phone call saying, we got the guy that did this to your loved one, but in this case, we wanted to say to him, look, we found Johnny. Detective Clark hoped Twitchell would provide the final chapter. I'm going to get the car ready. We're going to take a drive. You guys were driving around, and there was a camera trained on him in the back of the police yeah, well, car. What, tell me about that. When you, you read all the experts' books about these type of individuals, is they tend to like the media attention. So we thought, well, maybe if we drive him around and we'll put a camera on him, maybe he'll just, we'll just take him to places. Because we had no idea where 
where uh, Johnny's remains were at that time. So in order to finish the movie, we find the body, take it back to the people. Family. Done. Movie's over. You can write it all down. Detective Clark was relentless, taking Twitchell on a tour of his old neighborhood. And we first drove to his parents' house where he had been staying. We actually demanded that he tell us. He wouldn't. Look familiar, Mark? Are we parked right on top of the sewer where you dumped the body? Next stop, the scene of the crime. So here we are back at the killing garage, the Dexter garage. Bring back any memories? You want to tell us where the body is now? We'll get this over with. But Twitchell remained silent. So police kept searching on their own, looking in sewer after sewer. So all these manhole covers were pulled off in this alley. So anytime I'd see one, I always had my flashlight with me and would get out and actually take a look. Weeks, then months passed, and still no luck. Then a year and a half after Johnny Altinger disappeared, Twitchell, while awaiting trial, broke his silence and gave the police a map. Just up here on the left, it's about a block south of his parents' house. Investigators followed it to an alleyway just a half block away from where they had stopped the search. And he had marked an X, X marks the spot, and took it right to this uh, sewer cover here. We could see what looked like pieces of human torso uh, down there. In March of 2011, Mark Twitchell went on trial for the murder of Johnny Altinger. Prosecutors called Jill Tetchell to testify and to prove that what Twitchell described in SK Confessions was not a work of fiction, but an account of what had actually happened. I wasn't really afraid of him at that time. I knew he couldn't hurt me anymore. The only witness the defense called was Mark Twitchell, and he had one unbelievable tale to tell. Steve Lillibuen, a college professor and an investigative journalist, was covering the trial for the Edmonton Journal and went on to write a book, The Devil's Cinema, about the case. Mark Twitchell testified that this was all a big misunderstanding and he had killed Johnny in self-defense. Twitchell claimed that Altinger's death was nothing more than a publicity stunt gone horribly awry. He said he intended to let both men go so they would create a buzz for his film by telling people that this had actually happened to them. But he claimed Altinger became enraged at being tricked and he accidentally killed him in self-defense. He blames Johnny, saying it was Johnny's reaction to his attempt at this promotion is what happened. In the end, the jury took just five hours to find Mark Twitchell guilty. He was sentenced to 25 years to life. But for Lillibuen, there were still so many questions. So the motive is the mystery, the why did he do this? What is Mark Twitchell's psyche? What led to this happening? Questions Lillibuen hoped might be answered when he got a call out of the blue from Mark Twitchell himself. He just said straight out, if you're going to be writing a book about me, you might as well come straight to the source. What do you think Mark Twitchell's motive was? See the evidence presented at trial and more at 48hours.com. 
CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. The first time I met him, he actually had me laughing. He's very charismatic. Mark Twitchell was nothing like author Steve Lillibuen expected. Has very much that salesman slick behavior. He knows how to put it on to get people to like him. Twitchell began writing to Lillibuen before he was even convicted in 2011. Over the course of almost three years, they exchanged dozens of letters. I learned really quickly that he preferred to talk through writing. These weren't ramblings of a crazy man. There was actually some substance in these letters. Yes, uh, absolutely. So he's not, he's not crazy. He is, he is lucid. At first, Lillibuen didn't want to push Twitchell away with too many probing questions about his crimes. I asked him a lot of softball questions just about who he was, his family, his upbringing, all that kind of background detail. He was newly married and a new father, so he was just a typical local guy who had dreams of making it big in Hollywood and really no red flags, no warning signs that something like this was on the horizon. In letters, Twitchell clung to his defense that he had no choice but to kill Johnny Altinger and then dismember him. He writes, I killed Johnny Altinger in a horrific accident of self-defense. After cursorily shoving aside my human sensibilities, I dealt with his remains in a disrespectful manner that traumatized me forever. He still is adamant that this was not a planned and deliberate murder. And to be frank, he's, he's wrong. Lillibuen points to SK Confessions, where Twitchell describes how he turned that garage into a kill room set up a makeshift autopsy table, had plastic sheeting, and a processing kit similar to the one Dexter Morgan used. Mark Twitchell uh, wrote to me uh, quite extensively about his interest in Dexter. Dexter on his mind, Twitchell drew this portrait of Michael C. Hall, the actor who plays him. And to Lillibuen's surprise, even behind bars, Twitchell was able to feed his obsessions. Previously on Dexter. Mark Twitchell had actually been granted access to finish watching the series while he was incarcerated. In 2012, Dexter star Michael C. Hall was asked about Mark Twitchell on a Canadian radio program. It's horrifying to entertain the notion that something you did inspired that. 
Twitchell's response to Hall's comments was to downplay his fascination with the Dexter character. So he wrote to me, as you're aware, Dexter has almost nothing to do with my case. Throughout their correspondence, Lillibuen continued to grapple with what drove Twitchell. And then Twitchell told him. There is no key, no root cause. There's no school bully or impressionable gory movies or Showtime television series to point the finger at. It is what it is, and I am what I am. He's a depraved individual, and he knows that. Retired FBI criminal profiler Julia Calley didn't work on this case, but she spoke with Detective Clark and reviewed Mark Twitchell's writings and letters for 48 hours. She thinks she knows what made Twitchell tick. I think he identified with Dexter to some degree. I think he's different than Dexter. He's not killing bad guys. He's killing very innocent, good people, living productive lives. And while he's technically not a serial killer, he was headed in that direction if they hadn't have caught him. Callie believes Twitchell took pleasure in planning and executing his crimes as if they were romantic trysts. I think the primary motivation was sexual. Sexual? Yes. And he's targeting men that perhaps he would be interested in having a date with. It's a combination of sexual motive and a thrill killing. He's pretending to be a woman. He writes extensively about what he's going to wear, the weapon that he chooses. He sort of describes it in seductive language. He said, I wanted the weapon used for the deed itself to be simple, elegant, and beautiful. And in a strange twist, Twitchell's been able to feed that obsession, too. In 2017, he was allowed to join an online dating website for inmates. Which, you know, I find quite surprising, considering the way he ended up in prison. I believe it's been taken down since then. The man who was tricked into that very bad date in Twitchell's garage, Gilles Tetro, continues to be haunted by the experience. We caught up with him recently. I still think about the paired up hockey mask. I still think about the stun gun and the fight for my life. In 2023, Twitchell will be eligible to apply for early parole. Experts say it's a long shot, but it worries Jill. I'm scared that he might want to finish what he started and uh, come after me. Mark Twitchell cannot be rehabilitated. This is who he is. Action. And for Mark Twitchell, the aspiring filmmaker, there may be one final plot twist. Author Steve Lillibuen sold the rights to his book, The Devil Cinema, to a film company. Twitchell's story may be coming to the big screen. A one-time Texas lawyer with a past. She's like, I just wanted to let you know I seriously considered killing you, but I decided not to. Why did five men in her life end up dead? I've never killed anybody. I'm a little nervous. One journalist's years-long game of cat and mouse. 48 Hours, Saturday on CBS. It was the biggest scandal in pop music. The stars of Milli Vanilli, the Grammy-winning multi-platinum R&B phenomenon, were exposed as frauds. 
But none of this was their idea. So whose idea was it? Enter German music producer Frank Varian. He saw the success of acts like Michael Jackson and Prince, and he wanted in, no matter the cost. So he devised the perfect pop heist. Two once-in-a-lifetime talents who were charismatic, full of sex appeal, and phenomenal dancers. The only problem? They couldn't sing. But Frank knew just how to fix that. Wondery's new podcast, Blame It on the Fame, dives into one of pop music's greatest controversies and takes a never-before-heard look at the exploitation of two young Black artists. Millie Vanilli set the world on fire, but when the truth came out, Rob and Fab were the only ones who got burned. Looking back now, it's hard not to wonder, why did everyone blame them and not the man pulling the strings? Follow Blame It on the Fame, Millie Vanilli, on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of Blame It on the Fame early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. If you're listening to this podcast, then chances are good you are a fan of The Strange, Dark, and Mysterious. And if that's the case, then I've got some good news. We just launched a brand new Strange, Dark, and Mysterious podcast called Mr. Ballin's Medical Mysteries. And as the name suggests, it's a show about medical mysteries, a genre that many fans have been asking us to dive into for years, and we finally decided to take the plunge, and the show is awesome. In this free weekly show, we explore bizarre, unheard of diseases, strange medical mishaps, unexplainable deaths, and everything in between. Each story is totally true and totally terrifying. Go follow Mr. Ballin's Medical Mysteries wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're a Prime member, you can listen early and ad-free on Amazon Music. The Hargan women seemed to have it all. We were blessed. My mom was amazing. But detectives would soon discover... Inside the house, there were the bodies of two women. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. I am just praying to God, this is a sick joke. From 48 Hours, this is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings, wherever you get your podcasts. Podcasts.